Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host of the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive in. If you would like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk, and that's S-E-E, cchangehappen.co.uk. You better catch up with all of the episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decal, and let's get going. Today is episode six, with the title, It's All About Acceptance and Authenticity in Order to Be Able to Achieve. I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Michael Jarasi. I met Michael randomly on LinkedIn, like you do. And Michael describes himself as a transformational life coach. So I asked Michael to tell me about his superpower, and he said he's an active listener and full of compassion. So hello, Michael. Welcome to the show. Lovely to be here, Joanne. I'm excited to chat to you today. So tell me why. Why? Why is it all about acceptance and authenticity in order to be able to achieve? Well, actually, for me, I believe this is my philosophy when working with clients. I I call it AAA. It's an easy abbreviation to remember. You you think of your AAA batteries. And here today, I hope to kind of supercharge people's journey into success and achieving. Wow, AAA batteries. So they're fully rechargeable. So they're they're the... uh... (laughs) <laughs> you pop on charge overnight or a good session with you and that charges people's batteries right up again. Uh, that, that's right. And I think it's important to know your own values to be able to navigate um, success and, and know which direction to go in. So how does your superpower of uh, your listening compassion and uh, come into that uh, to play in that? Well, when I tell people my superpower is active listening, a lot of people think, oh, my God, listening is so easy. Anyone can do that. Um, But in actual fact, um, it takes a lot of concentration to listen to someone properly, um, especially not giving them advice. Um, A lot of family members will think that they're listening to you, but in actual fact, tell you what to do. Um, So... I think it's important to be able to take what someone's saying and, and let them have the opportunity to make the decisions themselves. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I mean, I know myself sometimes when I'm zoned out, I've got my black mirror in my hand, I'm playing with my phone, I'm my mind's elsewhere, and someone's trying to talk to me. I know myself that sometimes I'm not giving people that respect of listening. And not only I'm not listening, I'm not hearing them either. I'm not hearing their words. So do you, what sort of techniques have you learned in order to help yourself become an active listener? I think today in the modern world, we have so many distractions. And that could be your phone. It could be the television. So I have to switch everything off. Um, I dedicate that specific time to my client and um, ensure that I'm completely concentrated uh, on the conversation and whenever I do work with clients I tend to reflect back what they're saying to be sure Mm. that what I've understood is correct and um, and my second superpower I did mention is compassion and and I think it's important to be able to truly understand your client in order to be able to help them um, uh, in their in their endeavors yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, compassion is, is something that I think 
is a very human trait and something we often don't use enough. Uh, we, we often jump to judgment without without using our compassion first. Is, do you think so? Would you say that you use compassion in your own work? I, I do personally. I think I'm sure I do. I, I, and it's trying to blend empathy, compassion, vulnerability, allowing somebody else to be vulnerable, and that sort of else to show to talk about themselves and give them that space to be able to communicate in that way. And I think having someone listen to you is a really, really powerful thing that not everybody experiences. And when you have had someone just listen to you without saying a word, it is so powerful. So that, that must be something that you're, you're experiencing often. Yeah. I mean, I've had clients before that have told me sincerely that they've never felt listened to ever. Um, and for them, it's quite a magical experience that someone is, is very much dedicated their time to, to them and towards their own well-being. It's interesting. I, I seem to remember when we met, um, back in the days when you could meet physically, you know, we're obviously in the height of uh, lockdown season. Um, it's the new norm apparently. Uh, but we met in London, didn't we? And I remember how we, we sat down for probably what was, I thought was going to be a half hour meeting or half hour conversation. And I think it was about four hours later. And I, although I felt drained, it was a very cathartic experience because you, you were, you were a very good listening. And I hadn't realized that that was what was happening until afterwards. So it was a very powerful process. And I probably talked more to you about stuff than I've ever talked to somebody else. Because it, you were such a an engaging listener, if you like, and you were able to just prompt me every so often with some additional bits of conversation uh, that just kept me pouring it out, if you like. Well, you know, Joanne, I always enjoy our conversations together. And when, whenever we plan to have a, a quick call, it always ends up <laughs> being a few hours. And, you yeah. know, I, I love to have a chat with you. So do you find... When you're maybe when you're doing coaching, that it takes a while for people to open up. I mean, are people used to being able to be honest and vulnerable with you? I mean, is that something they have to learn themselves? It really depends on the client. Um, usually, I work with clients for about six sessions, um, mm. and and that allows us to kind of go deep into the topic or challenge that they have. Um, but for some clients, maybe. Um, only a few sessions would be enough. Um, it really depends how long it might take them to um, go into the topic or how vulnerable they're able to be from the get-go um, in order to see change. Do you ever find that you've opened a box and they let something out that's really hard for them to process at that time and, and or do you find generally people are quite reserved still and you have to tease things out? So people come to me as a coach because they feel stuck and they don't know what the next step is. Step is. So for, they wouldn't be come to me, coming to me if they, they knew what to do. So okay. <laughs> there is a challenge around that. Um, but sometimes I do get clients that are confused between what coaching is compared to, for example, counseling or mentoring when they're all three are quite different. And so if there is a topic that feels more towards the counseling angle, I wouldn't be able to help them in that respect. Okay. So counseling is where you're trying to resolve a problem. Coaching is where you're trying to unlock yourself. Is that, is that the difference? Um, so counseling is helping to cure past trauma that you might have had. Whereas, 
coaching looks at what is going on for you now and how is that affecting your future. And so it's always future looking in that sense. It's also non-advisory as well. So that's the, the main difference between coaching and mentoring, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I remember doing a an introduction to coaching course myself a couple of years ago. And some of the exercises we did were, were really powerful where even by the way you look, uh, a gesture, a body movement, or even the way you respond with a certain tone can almost imply approval or disapproval or acknowledgement or recognition. And you've almost got to try and be very neutral in your reactions to someone when they talk to you in a coaching model, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, the main focus of a, a coaching conversation are the powerful questions. And so it's very much how you word those questions um, because you don't want to be asking closed questions or leading questions because then that's essentially giving them subconscious advice. Um, yes. and, and that's not the point of a coaching conversation. Um, yes, yeah, so you're not after a yes and no type answer with a right or wrong. It's kind of a how do you feel or what does that look like to you or what does that feel like to you? When What does success feel like? like questions, isn't it? Exactly. You've got it down perfectly. You'll be stealing still, my job I, next. <laughs> I still remember the course I did and the grow, the grow model and all this other stuff and the, yeah. the learning ladders and all this kind of stuff I remember, yeah, the, uh, the wheel of life or whatever, whatever the techniques are, yeah. But I think it, today people, a lot of people either focus on academics or their like physical well-being and, and often forget their own mental state um, and how that can impact where they're going in their purpose or direction in life. And so um, a coaching session really allows someone to um, I, I like to focus on that and also invest in themselves for the that hour or a few hours that they have with the coach. Yeah. So what got you into coaching in the first place? I mean, you, you like listening to people or you just um, came into it by mistake or by accident or, or was it a life goal? Well, I actually had a life changing experience when I volunteered as a massage therapist for St. Joseph's Hospice in, in Hackney in East London. Um, I was volunteering in the palliative, palliative care unit where I was working with people in end of life. And going into it, I thought that people would be quite sad and kind of ready to kind of complete their life. Where in, in actual fact, um, most of the patients that I worked with really had a zest for life. And that's what inspired me. Um, and I meant that I wanted to kind of take that zest and, ha and have that same outlook in my own life and also help other people to do the same. Wow. That, that's quite a life-changing moment, isn't it? I, I mean, that uh, I've never worked in that kind of environment or been around people in that kind of situation. But that's – I've never specifically avoided it, but I, it's not something that I would uh, think of working with people at that stage of their life. It's uh, – no, it's, it's quite a, a challenging thing to do, isn't it? Whenever I would meet a new patient, they would always be excited to tell me their story and – uh, or mm. little anecdotes about their life and w couldn't wait to see my reaction to, to the stories that they would tell me. And, uh, and that re uh, kind of excitement was, um, was wonderful to see in, in someone maybe in the last few moments that they, they, they would have. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I, I watch people's stories on, on television in documentaries where 
they go through the end of life, palliative care type thing. Mm. And I get so emotionally connected with people, even through the television. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure that I could, I could isolate my, my own self enough to be in that environment you know, on a day in, day out basis. So that I, I got to admire the fact you can do that and you're able to partition that off in your, your head somehow. Thank, thank you. I mean, it was definitely extremely rewarding and I really yeah. enjoyed my experience there. It became one of the highlights of my week go, going into the hospice and helping the patients. So, uh, no, it's, it's really, really, yeah, really quite, uh, I, I, the dangers I'm going to say the words sort of some sort of, uh, false platitudes. And no, I, I do mean this with all sincerity that it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, a valuable thing that you're able to do there. Um, so, we're in, the, we're in this, you know, we mentioned the COVID thing. We're right in the middle of this. And whilst this podcast will be on the internet, I hope for a long time to come, it's worth maybe putting a marker in the ground at this time. It's sort of like the end of May, beginning of June 2020 to sort of, to sort of try and reflect on, on some of the challenges you're seeing with people, some of your people you're coaching or maybe you're observing behaviors from leaders or team members. And uh, what people could be maybe doing better or what help people would use with in terms of, uh, to, to co- well, your speciality, which is coaching. So what are you saying at the moment? I think times like this are extremely, uh, important to, in speaking to, to a coach because we're really in uncertain times. We don't know what the next step is. And so having someone that is there to support you or to, um, help you kind of figure out what might be right for you. And it could be to do with, um, um, re- the relationships with the people that you have, um, that you're currently living with. Um, so because we're at the moment, maybe stuck in a home, um, or self-isolated altogether, it can, can get, be complicated at times, or it could be, um, Maybe you've lost your job because of the pandemic and figuring out what the next step is in terms of your career um, or how can you improve your confidence in in this type of situation. Um, There are loads of different topics that people might want to discuss. In actual fact, at the moment, I'm offering my my coaching through a a website called More Happy to frontline key workers and people who have lost their businesses because of COVID. Um, and I hope to be able to support those, the people that have been affected. So more happy. That's M-O-R-E-H-A-P-P-I. Is that right? That's right. Yes. And people can obviously Google that and find out more if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. And they can uh, look up my profile on there. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Um, we talk about authentic leadership and we see leaders, if you like, themselves having to adjust this change. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, um, I, I speak often about the fact that we, we sometimes transform people from being a team member into a leader without always giving them the right tools in order to, to be a great leader. Uh, and I think, We've, none of us were prepared for this lockdown. None of us were prepared to go completely virtual, or not many of us were. So I think leaders themselves are, everyone's looking to them for guidance. Everyone's looking to them for leadership and direction. And they sometimes struggle themselves, don't they? And not every leader has got the, the tools in their own toolbox to self, to self coach, self manage, to self motivate in this time. They've got their own struggles. So, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe in a leadership role about how to maybe look after themselves, 
put their own oxygen mask on and also help help their team? I guess a lot of leaders uh, end up kind of jumping into the deep end because that that is the role that they've been given and they forget their own self-development. Um, and I think it's important to look at how your own growth and how your new kind of leadership title has affected you and how you plan to build your relationships with your colleagues uh, and staff. Um, and how can you better maybe, for example, manage your work-life balance? Uh, at, the mo- at the moment, um, there's so much uh, push and pull from either your work or your family, and um, you ne- a lot of people don't know how to navigate that. So it's, it's a topic that I work with clients a lot, actually, on how to manage their time better. Yeah, because it's also because you don't, if you like, drive home, get on the train. Some people are... Are feeling like a slave to the black mirror, aren't they? They're feeling like they've got to work when they can. They're getting up earlier. They're working later, or because maybe they've got other responsibilities, whether that's childcare or they're caring for relatives or they're, they're performing other shopping tasks or whatever else they may be doing. They've almost felt they've got to make up time. So people, are, I think, I'm hearing that people are burning out more and mm. getting more and more stressed. They're certainly burning out from Zoom calls and video calls now, aren't they? I think at the moment, a lot of parents have to suddenly homeschool their children at the same time as continue doing their own job <laughs> and, and, and understanding how to manage that at the same time uh, with quite maybe active children. How can you keep them entertained, but also be um, continuing your professional life? It can be mm. quite difficult to manage. Obviously, as a coach, you're not here to sort of solve anyone's problem. You're not here to sort of come up with all the thoughts and answers yourself. But what kind of questions would you ask somebody who was maybe feeling a bit sort of trapped or in that locked in a cycle? How would you help them unlock that? Well, my role as a coach is to empower the person to understand their own situation. So I wouldn't be able to give you like example questions that I would ask them because it would really depend on the conversation and what they would like to bring up. So whenever I work with a client, the questions are unique to that client. And, and so if not, if it were, if I worked from like template questions, I'd feel like I probably, it, uh, the coach wouldn't necessarily be listening to the client. They would just be using the questions that they know and, and the conversation wouldn't be bespoke at all. Okay. So if you're looking to try and find out why they wanted to feel the needs to change, what, what was their why of, of the, what's going wrong? And, and let them unlock that themselves as to whatever comes out of why they want to change or why they think they need help. So in coaching, we often talk about what's called limiting beliefs. Yeah. Um, and the, these beliefs are, let's say, barriers or stumbling blocks that might stop you from getting to where you want to go. And so we would work together in kind of unpacking that and, and seeing how that is affecting them now and what uh, what ways they can kind of work on that or try and go around it to be able to get to their goal. Right. I got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've had some pretty limiting beliefs in my own life over the years and I, I've, I've broken through a few of them, but they, they're still there. I, I think it's a human thing. We all wish to be 
accepted for who we are, embrace who we are. And sometimes we're too worried or, or get very nervous about pushing ourselves into our stretch zone or into our panic zone without, without really, we, we like to be safe, don't we? And sometimes the limiting beliefs is that we need to be safe, need to feel that we've got respect for people around us. And by going to our stretch, we sometimes feel, well, maybe what's some of them judge us at this point? What if I'm not quite good enough? What if I can't succeed? So yeah, I, I completely get that. And, uh, I certainly, yeah, as I said, I had to overcome a few of those, those challenges myself. Exactly. Limiting beliefs are just part of being human and it makes us who we are. Mm. Um, and so I'm not saying that we would want to be in a situation where we don't have any limiting beliefs at all because that would make us not human. But I, what I'm saying is that there are ways to be able to overcome them, to be able to reach the, the challenge that you or mm. reach the goal that you want to achieve. Uh, one of the things I, I realized when I was feeling this intense, intense imposter syndrome, which I guess is another side of limiting beliefs where mm. you just feel you're not good enough, you're going to be discovered. It's all part of feeling that same sort of part of your psyche. What I, what I suddenly realized was I, I was benchmarking myself against myself. Yeah. So I could, I could never escape my shadow. So no matter how much I improved, I always saw my shadow with me, and therefore that was my reference point. So I never felt I was achieving anything. So it, 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 really, it really one of the things I learned was to be able to anchor a moment in time where I, I could see the difference between me today and me then, mm. and not judge myself again about how I was yesterday, but how I was three months ago, yeah. and then learn to listen to people who said, that's good. That's fantastic. Well done. Really appreciate that. And take that as a compliment and lock it in and say, okay, I did a good job. I'm not going to beat myself up or double think that or go, oh, no, you're only kidding. I don't believe you type thing, which is often we do that as well, don't we? So I've learned to accept um, praise, recognition, feedback and positively. And I've also learned to, to anchor points in my life so I can go back and benchmark myself against an anchor point. And I think that, that really helped me in that in those terms. That sounds like a fantastic breakthrough to me. And, and But we must be conscious that a lot of people won't know how to kind of break that down in, yeah. in their head. Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. Um, and so working with a coach, might it might help them kind of see that perspective and get to mm. the breakthrough that you've obviously achieved. Yeah. I think mine was hyper, hyper, um, amplified by the fact I work alone a lot mm. and I do lots of short term gig type work. So I'm always doing something new. I'm always meeting new people. I've always, I'm always doing another talk or another training session with different people. So therefore it's, it's always hard to have any comparison between two days or two weeks. So I, I guess if you're more closely aligned with the team, you can, it may be easier to benchmark yourself, but when you're, you are literally um, a loner, it, it, sometimes that's the hard thing. And so, I guess going back to the AAA theme or the supercharging mm -hmm. is that getting to that um, breakthrough moment would be much quicker with a coach. Um, so a lot of people just don't have the time to, to do that. And so it's important to kind of supercharge it and get, and, and get to that step quicker in, in many cases. So it's recognizing your batteries are, are starting to get depleted of power and learning you've got to take them out, out of the back of the bunny and put them on charge overnight or yeah, use the coach to be able to top up your charge again. Is that, that's, that's kind of what you're saying. It's make time for yourself. 
Um, well, I wouldn't want to say that the batteries are depleted because that just doesn't sound very friendly to my clients. <laughs> um, but what I, w- I would say is that recognizing that you're in a situation where you don't know how to get to the next step and allowing yourself that time with someone who's there to support you um, and kind of gifting that time to yourself. Yeah, okay. So, th- so literally carving out a space in your schedule and say, this is me time, this is investment time, this is to help me move past my block time. So almost like a reward for giving that time up is that you make progress and you develop yourself. I mean, a lot of my clients aren't used to setting aside time just for themselves um, mm. in the same way that they might have never been listened to. They're, they're not used to investing in themselves. Um, and so just giving an, uh, themselves an hour that's an hour just them talking about themselves it can can be quite cathartic in that sense so what other stuff have you done in your life i mean you you've, you've obviously done this um work, work with people at end of life you, you, you become a coach um what, what else have you, have you done you're obviously worldly and 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 wise so you're, um, so w- with my coaching, I'm, c- I'm currently working on a workshop called Thriving Amid Change, Challenge and Uncertainty that I'm hoping to help people during the co- coronavirus time. Also, mm. I'm developing my own podcast called Your Hero Is You. Um, and outside of my coaching, um, I... I'm working alongside a fabulous team to create an online digital magazine for the LGBT plus community and its allies called Queer Immunity. Um, ah. I personally identify as as bi, and it also meant that I was I volunteered at Bi Pride as head of stages to um, help develop the first Bi Pride last year in September. In London, yeah. In London, that's right. The seventh of September in London. Um, wow, we've, yeah. It was the biggest buy event in the in the world, and we welcomed just over a thousand people. And allies, and uh, all over the community. Yeah. Exactly. I personally was very proud because Stonewall um, uh, recommended it as one of the most inclusive Pride events uh, ever, and so for for us at Buy Pride at the time, it was a huge success. Fantastic. So did you, you marched through London, did you, or was it just a static event? So it, it was a, a static event. Um, we yeah. also marched at the Pride of London as well. Um, but our event um, was hosted with two stages. So I was head of stages. So my responsibility was kind of um, managing what was go- uh, the performers on the main stage and also the speakers on the Iron Proud stage. I also spoke myself on my own coaching um, with a talk called "By Leave in Yourself and Dream Big." So uh, <laughs> you have to mind the pun there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, by leaving yourself, no, I, I got that. Yeah, that's, that's clever. clever. So you managed two stages. So have you got a, a background in in rock star management or anything like that, or uh, dealing with divas? Um, well. Um, before working in health and well-being, my background was in fashion. So I worked on uh, fashion show production. Um, I worked on, for example, Martin Margiela's show or London Fashion Week. Um, so it 
in these types of events, you're used to working with very high-profile people. So any big name bands we would have heard of that were there or, or up-and-coming uh, artists were they? Um, so for, for, for us, it wasn't necessarily getting the biggest names. Um, we, we definitely wanted more by representation. Um, but we, we did have, um, some kind of famous, um, but by stars or LGBT, um, groups. And so it was a really magical day. And for me, just to see a whole room of bi people all, all under one roof was yeah really like, uh, yeah inspire like awesome I, I back back in my youth um I, I i was in the RAF for a few years and i used to look after entertainment for the for the nafi for the for the, the non-commissioned uh, sort of bar club uh for, for the for the station i was at and uh, one of my kind of claims to fame is that uh i booked katrina and the waves a number of times. This is back in the early eighties before, before they got it big, before walking on sunshine became a, a massive hit. I, I was, I, I saw them perform that live. Uh, I was drinking, I think beers or, or cocktails with them in the green room, which is actually a, a, a TV room upstairs. I think in the club where people used to watch television, we screen it off, but there's Katrina the waves and, and the band all sort of like getting changed, drinking and chats with them. And I booked them sort of like several times. So I, I I mean, I, I never class myself as a friend, but more a, a, a good acquaintance because we were kind of familiar. So to see them sort of succeed uh, in the Eurovision and and see them still going is is quite a. I was quite proud of that. And I've got their uh, their first album. I, well, I used to have their first album on vinyl, which is a pre-production press with a, with a couple of typos. So yeah, I was quite was quite pleased about that. So now I've got memories of, of my own stage production and stuff like that as well. That's really fantastic, and and great that you met, met met those people, and you could you could follow follow on with by pride because we had two stages. Each stage was seven hours each, so it meant that we were organising fourteen hours of content. Um, yeah. So it was a lot of pressure uh, with it also being the first event. Um, we uh, so I'm, I'm pleased that we got a lot of very good reviews. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also, I know what it's like when you're, you're doing something for the first time and only time. It's not like you can sort of say, right, that was brilliant. We'll do it again tomorrow and the day after the day after. So <laughs> it's very hard to learn the lesson because even next year, something will be different. There'll be a, a slightly different field, a slightly different weather conditions, slightly different stage crew or something. Yeah. Uh, at least I had the, uh, the luck in this naffy that the building wasn't going to change and the stage wasn't going to change. And, and generally thing was pretty static. It was just. A case of weeding somebody and put them on the stage and they got on with it. So yeah, and so you no know, hats off to you. That must have been a, a, a big, big learning exercise. And it was wonderful to work with the team at By Pride as well. And um, I've made some like friends for, for life for, from the people that I've met there. Mm. I, I can imagine those sort of things are uh, they're quite bonding, aren't they? They're quite uh, that shared experience is really powerful. Definitely, definitely. So you mentioned this uh, queer community, this online magazine. Um, tell me a bit more about that. Well, we're hoping to launch in September. Um, the aim of the magazine is to amplify the voices of LGBT plus and its allies. Um, we want to make it a really inclusive magazine um, and share the stories of real people. Um, so it could be, um, let's say, your next door neighbor giving their story about um 
their, for example, I don't know, gender identity or their sexual orientation, or it could be um, nothing to do with that. It could be um, uh, anything under the sun, but it, we just want to have uh, a magazine that that is a home somewhere, a safe space where people feel welcome and able to kind of learn about each other and interact. Also, have you got any guests lined up, features lined up? Um, well, we're, we're hoping to say. <laughs> um, well, if you don't mind me sharing, we're hoping to feature you, you in the one our first issue. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> if I ever pull my finger out and get it back to you, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I'm really excited to um, to include you because you have um, such a powerful story in all of your work um, that you're doing, and um, I can't wait to kind of see the article that you write and, and the content that you share with us. That's a good bit of chasing up, isn't it? I can't wait to see the article I'm going to write either. <laughs> <laughs> I need maybe maybe need some coaching on how to unlock that. <laughs> um, but also, we're, we're a small team now. We're all volunteers, and um, I, I've spoken to them about you, and they're also very excited to hear, hear more about your story. Um, and it's great that in in these difficult times of the pandemic, um, we're all open to kind of offer our time for free to make this online magazine a reality, and to um, help others along the way. I'm really thankful that my team is there to to make it happen. So you mentioned that you identify as by yourself. Yes. Um, I I mean I'm sure you do. I, I certainly do. Come across a lot of misunderstandings of what that means, uh, what that term is. Uh, even within the LGBT community, it's still a, a often misunderstood identity. Yeah. I, do you want to take this opportunity just to maybe sort of tell our listeners what being bi means to you? Um, being bi means means that I'm attracted um, to anyone um, beyond gender. So it doesn't necessarily just mean that I'm attracted to just men or just women or both. or um, And it's not trans-exclusionary either. Um, a lot mm. of people make that assumption. Um, or and it doesn't in- exclude non-binary people um, either. Um, for, I think for for a person that's bi, they're just open to um, any any gender in that sense. Um, but different bi people have their own definitions of of what being mm. bi is. So, but this is my personal definition. Yeah, and whenever I talk about identities, it's how you identify and how you would describe it that's the important thing. Yeah. And other people, as you say, may have a different definition, but we're, no one should be arguing about who's more right on that. It's about how you feel and how I feel about my identity. Because I, I, I get myself confused about whether I'm, whether I'm straight, bi or pan, because I'm, I'm still married to the person I married 30 years ago. So, their gender and sexuality hasn't changed, but my gender has. And it's, it's people get very curious about how I now identify. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would rather not identify as anything other than married. <laughs> it's kind of my identity of <laughs> married um, to a spouse, to, to a woman. Uh, but I, I, I often locked on to using pansexual as a, as a term, or pan, 
because that for me, if you look at the, if you get the Wikipedia definition out, and it's more how you just describe your definition of buy, which is more of a contemporary, um, uh, identity way of describing bisexuality. So just, I was curious about how you saw yourself in relation to the term pan, maybe. For me, I, I view buy and pan interchangeably. Like I, I would, I would very much be open to calling myself pan as well. Um, but the, the thing is, is that when you, um, tell people a lot of people have no idea what pan is um so, so that's why it's just tends to be more comfortable to tell people i'm bi uh, whereas i probably identify more as pan <laughs> no. on the wikipedia definition it's more yeah. pan yeah. but your your definition of bi is pan or pan bi so it's just yeah. that you're comfortable no i get what you mean sometimes you, you've got to go for the easy phrase to to fit in with the masses haven't you mm. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, there's a lot of stigma, stigma around being bi. Also, even more stigma about uh, being bi and male. Mm. Um, so I've been told to my face by people that bisexuality doesn't exist um, or that I'm just on the way to becoming gay um, and or that I'm too greedy or that I could never be faithful or that um, I'm just doing it to for the attention, um, which is, I, I personally believe that it's very sad. And I guess I, my response to that is, you know, I do exist. I'm not the tooth fairy or Father Christmas. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're... It's something that people should should become more aware of in, in many cases. And I thought being trans was complicated. I mean, it sounds <laughs> like you've you've got the same sort of challenges. You know, people think I'm the tooth fairy sometimes as well. <laughs> yeah. um, I think uh, the trans community and the bi community um, can help each other out in many mm. ways and support each other in terms of raising awareness for each other. Um, and I, you know, I, I, my purpose is to ha- help kind of educate people in, in understanding um, sexual orientation or not judging people from what they might have heard. Um, mm. Yeah. So is that why you, you call yourself the rainbow coach, is it? So uh, I chose the, the rainbow coach be- because, first of all, a rainbow is extremely colourful and joyous. Um, second of all, um, it has the the myth of the going towards a pot of gold if you follow the rainbow. And so I quite mm. like that idea of, of kind of following your journey to find your pot of gold and your pot of gold could be uh, wh- whatever go- goal you give yourself. Um, also, obviously, because I specialize with the, uh, with, with working with the LGBT plus community, the, the rainbow flag is symbolic for them in terms of pride and it's, uh, it's mm. what makes up the pride flag itself. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how many people realize this, but the, the pride flag or the LGBT flag or the rainbow flag isn't actually the same colors as a rainbow in the sky, is it? The, no. the, the pride flag has six colors. Uh, it used to have pink, but it was apparently it was hard to get hold of or something at the time when they were producing them. So they dropped it. So the, there was a hot pink in there, wasn't there? There was a hot pink and a turquoise. Yeah. And um, they blended those colors out because they're hard to reproduce or they were, they were difficult to get hold of. So 
Uh, so, yeah, what we've got now is not a rainbow rainbow. It's, it is the pride flag. And, uh, and people often don't get confused about um, a rainbow and the pride flag. But they are, they are different things and different colors, although most people don't notice. Which is very disappointing for me on a personal level because they got rid of turquoise and I'm half Turkish. Ah. <laughs> so it's uh, the color from my country. <laughs> is, that the name, is that where the name comes from? Is that, is that a, French, uh, a Frenchism of Turkey, is it? Or? Uh, yeah, I believe that it was derived from, from Tur- Turkey, exactly. Because turquoise sounds French to me in my, my sort of languagey. Is it, yeah, is that, is it, it, it would it would be pronounced originally as turquoise, which is in French. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and that's of, of Turkey. Is, is uh, kind yes, of where it so, from. exactly from Turkish origin. Ah, okay. Well, if um, nothing else, this podcast we've learned that today. Where, where Turkey came from? Where turquoise came from? But also now we um, we also have an even more more inclusive flag with, with the brown and black color that has been added mm. or there's another flag as well with the the trans symbol as well so there are mm. several flags that we could we can be using this is machine there's lots of debate within the we call it a community we call it in the the lgbt population whichever word sort of seems to fit about yeah. these different flags and um whether we're being too inclusionary now or whether we've complicated things and supporting everybody. I'm sure that debate will go far onto the future and probably nothing we can contribute right here. But yeah, no, there are lots of, I, I just did research myself on pride flags around gender identities and I'm trying to pull, pull together a collection of them and just looking at different identities is such and such a, a lot of um, different ways people do relate to their own gender. Uh, from, from grey to demi, uh, mm. and various other ones, which I, I think when we started this off, this conversation earlier, we talked about how you identify how you describe yourself. And if there's not a phrase that describes you in the way you describe yourself, then this is where people are evolving these identities to allow them to feel more comfortable with that as a definition of who they are. I think as long as the flags bring us together rather than set us apart, mm. that's the main goal in itself. So it's more like the Olympic flags rather than the football team flags where people are competing. This is kind of competing together as a, as a, as a collaborative sort of celebration of each other rather than against each other. Exactly. We, we should celebrate each other rather than pit ourselves against each other. <laughs> so what things have you overcome in your life then that's, uh, when you coached yourself, what kind of things have you overcome? I would say I found it challenging in terms of accepting who I am and um, choosing to lead an authentic life. Um, mm. it, I guess because of the stigma around being bisexual, it took me a long time, first of all, to to learn about what bisexual was. <laughs> um, mm. I, when I was growing up, it wasn't a, a term that was used very commonly. Um, and also... Um, because of the stigma around it, it probably delayed um, me in, into coming to terms with my own sexual orientation. Um, and so today, um, now, it's for me, it's a constant choice to kind of live authentically and to be myself. And um, and it's something that I, um, I now have the luxury to be able to choose. Mm. 
Is is the word authentic authenticity? Is it an overused and abused term? Is it because I I've seen what I would call influencers and role models on Instagram and YouTubers using the fact they're authentic as an excuse to be rude, to mm. to, to to be nasty to people. Um. So how would you how would you sort of see authentic should be seen? I mean, I think authentic should be seen as having the power to be your your true uh, self and to be unique. And to, for example, we started off the call about superpowers. So mm. knowing your own superpowers and being able to embrace those as well. Um, of course, any word can be used in the wrong way. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. authentic, authentic can, as you've said online, be used in a negative sense. Mm. But and it's and a lot of people do use it on social media. But I think it's because we didn't have the awareness before, or we didn't necessarily allow ourselves to be authentic in the past. And this is now we're in a time of change in that, and people are slowly opening themselves up to their own identities. Hmm. So it's it's not an excuse to be rude. It's not an excuse no. to hide behind my authenticity. Or, or actually, what they're saying is, authentically, I'm a bad person on the inside, and I'm just showing this. It's kind of what they're saying, isn't it? Really, by being open or openly authentic, telling the truth is not authenticity. I mean, I, I would say there's never an excuse to be rude. To be honest, no, no. <laughs> you'd hope people wouldn't be. <laughs> But as I said, I've seen many, many conversations on, on some of these platforms where people are using the word, they're, they're banding the word, banding around the word authentic, like some sort of right to express themselves because they're just being authentic about what they think. Hmm. And that, and I think, well, obviously maturity comes into that, um, lived experience, not wishing to you know, put other people down and, and thinking about the good things that come out of authenticity, which is about understanding about self-expression, understanding about identity, understanding speaking from the eye, speaking from your passion and speaking with your own desires is more the authenticity that I would start from, yes. I think it's also remembering that authenticity comes from you. So a lot of people um, might think that for me as a life coach, I'm just going to tell them what authenticity is and then, and then, give them the step-by-step plan of how to become more authentic. In in actual fact, that's not the case. I could spend a thousand hours with a client and I still won't know them as well as they know themselves. Um, And in that being said, they might choose specific stories to tell me and might not tell me their complete self. So I work with my clients to be able to enable them or to be able to uplift them, to be able to um, give them more um, like recognition of themselves to be able to feel empowered and to mm. understand that authenticity within themselves. That's really, that's, that is really powerful. I, mean, I, I don't think I discovered what authenticity meant to me. Until I, until I transitioned at, at that point there, I think I was so caught up in, on the escalator of life, just heading in a direction that I didn't ever stop and question who I was, what, what my values were. And, and I think that's often the, the case for many people that unless they have some checkpoint in their life where they, it causes them to reflect, 
that you often blindly follow this course without even thinking about it? I, I think we mentioned challenges earlier on. I think for me, um, I did have challenges in terms of accepting my sexual orientation, but also um, in terms of accepting myself for who I am. I, I, I personally am not the most masculine of men, and it's something that I did try to hide for a very long amount of time and not embrace my feminine side because I felt that at the time um, it just wasn't perceived very well. Um, and that's something that I've worked on in myself to um, kind of be more open to my feminine side and, and embrace that. The world hasn't stopped and everything's <laughs> carried on and, 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 and you're still like that. Yes, it, it, exactly. You talk about some of the stuff you're doing this at the moment. So, more happy by pride, community, uh, your workshop on thriving and change and challenge and uncertainty, and your podcast coming out. So, that's right. What does the what does what does kind of like the future hold for you? Where where are you going with your life, or are you just wandering around to see what happens? So, uh, I'm hoping to help more and more people with my coaching. Yeah. Um, my coaching is all done online. So it means that I'm able to access more and more people. Um, and even during this kind of Corona pandemic time, we're still able to communicate in that sense. And I, I, I'd like to be able to, um, with the magazine, raise more awareness of the, um, uh, like LGBTQ plus community. And I, want to be able to kind of grow my network to be able to help more people. Fantastic. So where people are trying to get hold of you, how, how do people get hold of you? So the, obviously you've welcomed you've welcome people to connect with you on things like LinkedIn or Instagram. So how, how do they find you? So yeah, they're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I have my website, therainbowcoach.com or they can connect with me on Instagram at the underscore rainbow underscore coach. And your name is Jurassi, which is uh, C-E-R-A-S-I for those who are trying to Google you or type you into LinkedIn, yeah? That's Jurassic. right. It actually means cherry tree in another language. <laughs> oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> so Michael Jurassi. That, that's right. Oh. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really good. Well, many thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm sure that the listeners will agree there's much to ponder there and take inspiration from. And I really appreciate everyone's time for tuning in and listening today. Uh, so please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends. Please tell your colleagues. I have a number of exciting guests lined up, and I'm sure you'll be inspired by them over the next weeks and months, whenever this lockdown may end. So remember, if you'd like to be a guest, please let me know. You're most welcome. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, then please do send me a message to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk, joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk, for any of the future shows or how we can improve. So it's been a pleasure. And if you haven't worked out already, my name is Joanne Lockwood, and I've been your host, the Inclusion by the Podcast today. Catch you next time. Bye.